welcome to the Simply Christian Life. My name is Michael Hun. In addition to being your host for this podcast, it is my joy to be the bishop of the Diocese of the Rio Grande, that part of the Episcopal Church that encompasses the far west part of Texas and the entire state of New Mexico. We are here in the diocese, as well as you are, wherever you are, concerned about and responding to the coronavirus, which has arrived in force here in the Diocese of the Rio Grande, and we are prayerfully and faithfully trying to respond congregation by congregation. So we ask for your prayers and let and know that we are praying for you as well as we, across the globe, work to combat this uh, difficult virus. And we pray for all of those who are first responders and healthcare workers as you are in the process of caring for those in need. It is Lent. The year is 2020. And for this podcast, season two, we have been reading out of the Bible the first letter of Peter. And I'm really excited this today because, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we are going to be working through the first letter of Peter because the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Most Reverend Justin Welby, has set this text and uh, created a commentary in preparation for the Lambeth Conference, which is coming up in the summer of 2020. And I'm really excited today because my copy of the commentary has finally arrived. I ordered it from SCM Press in the UK, and it takes a while for things to get across the pond, but it's finally arrived. So I'm going to take a step back from the scripture reading that we did in the last episode in order to talk to you in this episode about the commentary itself, how it was made, and to share with you some thoughts from uh, the introduction in that commentary. This commentary was put together as a special project in preparation for the Lambeth Conference. Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, called together dozens of theologians and biblical scholars from all over the world. There are people from England and Oxford and Toronto and Botswana and Wales and uh, the United States all over the world. And those scholars have all written this commentary together. I want to give a shout out to two of my dear friends who helped work on this book. One is Chris Chivers, my best friend from seminary at Westcott House in Cambridge. Thank you for working on this. And also I want to uh, give a shout out. I also want to give a shout out to Catherine Sonderager, the William Mead Chair in Systematic Theology at Virginia Theological Seminary. Dr. Sonderager was one of my theology teachers when I was an undergraduate at Middlebury College, and uh, what a joy it is uh, to have this commentary in my hand, uh, which is a beautiful thing. And, and so the way this worked as they prepared this commentary, all of these scholars from around the world gathered together at the Archbishop of Canterbury's request, and I believe they spent two weeks together in uh, one place. And then, of course, they were all writing and sending emails back and forth. And then all of that was brought together and put together and published by SCM Press into this commentary. If you're looking for it on Amazon or in other places, the title is The First Letter of Peter, A Global Commentary, edited by Jennifer Strawbridge. Jennifer Strawbridge is the Associate Professor of New Testament Studies 
at the University of Oxford. And if you're interested in this commentary, of course you can get a copy of it yourself, but you can also look online for the global commentary on the first letter of Peter, uh, and there are some videos done by the Archbishop of Canterbury and some interviews with some of the people who worked on the commentary, and I recommend all of that to you. In the foreword to the commentary, the Most Reverend Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, writes these words. No church is obedient to God if it focuses only on itself. The focus must be on its mission. The church must look outward, must engage those who are alien and strange to us, and must be made up of what Peter calls living stones, stones that are alive and changed by contact with one another, and above all, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Those words, as I read them, immediately struck me as of vital importance, particularly as we in this diocese and across the Episcopal Church and across the world, we as churches are grappling with the coronavirus and its impacts. And sometimes our first uh, instinct is to protect our churches, right? But we have to remember in this moment that the church exists and was made in order to be of service and ministry to the world. The church, no church is obedient to God. If it focuses only on itself, it must be on, the focus must be on its mission. And so let us keep that in mind, uh, both as we are engaging with the coronavirus and as we are studying this book of Holy Scripture together. A little bit later in his introduction, Justin Welby reminds us that this is a letter that instructs the people of God that they must seek to live and to lead in a way that shows others that they are God's people, under the authority of Scripture, faithful to Christ, and inspired by the Spirit. And to that I say, Amen. We as Christian people must seek to live and to lead in a way that shows others that they are God's people, under the authority of Scripture, faithful to Christ, and inspired by the Spirit. And there are ways of leadership that do embody the followings of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And of course, there are ways of leadership that really don't. We can lead out of fear. We can lead out of hostility. We can lead out of nationalism and in other sorts of ways. And so uh, we must remember to live and to lead in ways that help people know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Justin Welby also points out at the conclusion of his introduction that the church is a church for God's world, a church that is united but not unanimous. I think that's a beautiful phrase. The church should be united but not unanimous. We know quite a bit about that here in the Episcopal Church. We uh, are about half Republican, half Democrat. We don't agree on politics all the time. There are vigorous and vehement disagreements about theology in the Episcopal Church, and yet we gather together every Sunday around the altar of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and that is the ground on which we all stand together. We are united, but we're certainly not unanimous. I want to shift now into the introduction of the commentary. This commentary helps focus our attention on 1 Peter and what is in it. And this will echo some of the things that we said in episode, back in episode 2, 
when we were talking about the historical context of the first letter of Peter. But there are some specific pieces of this introduction to the commentary that I thought it would be edifying for us all to hear. This from the commentary. The letter of 1 Peter offers encouragement for unity over division and for humility over anxiety as it instructs those suffering for their faith in how to live faithfully in the time between Jesus' death and the resurrection and his return. So, this is a letter which offers encouragement for unity. So, this is a letter that will be encouraging us to find unity instead of division and for us to reduce our anxiety with humility. The commentary says, This letter addresses and encourages all who follow Christ while also engaging specific issues faced by those members of the community who are enslaved, those who are exiles and resident aliens, those who live under human institutions of hierarchy and patriarchy, and all who are called to welcome and love the stranger. So you'll remember that the letter of 1 Peter was written to a community that is a minority Christian community surrounded by uh, a secular culture that doesn't agree with and is actually rather hostile to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it contains advice for folks in that situation. The advice is about calling the people receiving the letter of 1 Peter. It's a call towards witness of Jesus Christ, a call to hope, and a call to holiness. And those three themes are themes which the commentary is going to unpack in each chapter. The call to witness, the call to hope, the call to holiness. We have to share that there has been some controversy about the Archbishop of Canterbury's selection of the book of 1 Peter, and a lot of that has to do with uh, some of the themes we talked about in the last episode. This is one of the letters that has uh, that phrase, wives be subject to your husband, in it, and it suggests that slaves should be obedient to their masters. This is uh, a, a text that we remember was written to people living under oppression. And there is a message of the liberation of Jesus Christ here in the text, but we have to look for it. We have to not be just overwhelmed by thinking that because it's written in the Bible, that's what God means, but rather to understand the context in which this was written. And so the commentary reminds us that Peter engages with what it means to acknowledge authority, to submit, to honor, and how to return good for evil as a pattern that instructs all Christians in conformity to Christ. So this is not a letter that uh, encourages or underlines or says God is in favor of hierarchy or patriarchy. Rather, this is a letter that is instructing people how we can respond to oppressive forms of human relationship in a way that proclaims the gospel. Because people have been called into communion by God, the commentators write, and are therefore separated from the world, and sometimes separated from their own social or political communities, the focus leads to a number of different interpretations of the text. As those of us who wrote the commentary encountered on a small scale, since some will immediately identify with the context of persecution and suffering, and others will not. And I think that's the That's the bridge that particularly those of us perhaps in the United States need to make. 
this is a letter written from the perspective of those who are being oppressed. And if we are not currently being oppressed, if we don't feel like our Christian life is under threat, it may be difficult for us to resonate with the advice that is given here. Later in the commentary, they write, The letter makes it clear that those who are vulnerable don't always have the luxury of resisting oppression or stepping away from suffering, continually returning to the person of Christ and his rejection, unjust suffering, and exaltation. So, if you are an oppressed person, you don't always have the luxury of uh, resisting that oppression in some violent way. You might be putting yourself or your family or your future at risk if you stand up too much. And so we need to be careful about judging the advice that's given and be careful about judging those who received that advice. We need to remember that the language found in 1 Peter is that those who call themselves Christian are considered both exiles and aliens, as well as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's own people. So the contrast, and we've touched on this in some previous episodes, the contrast in 1 Peter is the world sees you and makes you exiles and aliens, but God sees you as chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so we are to behave and to act with respect to God's opinion of our identity instead of what the world says that we are. The commentators say, Reorientation as God's chosen holy people doesn't necessarily lead to an escape from suffering, but it does mean that the powers that tried to control, that tried to dominate through fear, can no longer determine who and whose we are. The gospel of Christ breaks the authority structures of this world. And even though we might suffer at the hands of those authority structures, even though violence may invade our lives and oppression may be something that we cannot escape, yet if we are followers of Jesus Christ, those powers that try to control and dominate through fear can no longer determine who and whose we are. We've got to remember that, as particularly as we lean into uh, later on in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, when we're talking about advice given to slaves and women, etc. The commentators say in the introduction to the commentary that the letter calls for a transformed behavior toward each other and toward the world, behavior which is focused more on coming together and being built up together as living stones than on disagreement. One of the things that can happen in a church when we, particularly if we're under pressure and feeling oppressed, is that we can turn on each other. The church can go into schism. We are the true followers. You're not. You don't believe in us, and so we don't associate with you. This kind of schism, which we see uh, being a threat to the community in 1 Peter, is something that has threatened the Anglican Communion as well. And I I'm wondering if part of the reason the Archbishop of Canterbury um, chose this text is that he wants to emphasize that we should all gather at the Lambeth Conference with a posture of humility in order to try to recapture the sense of the Anglican Communion as one church. Uh, One church uh, under Jesus Christ, bound together by our common worship, bound together by the body of Christ, that we share in the Holy Eucharist, and that we are because Jesus made us that way. And so that 
is a community, the church, which is focused more on coming together than on our disagreement. In the introduction to the commentary, there are a number of questions which are written, questions that we might have in our mind as we approach the rest of the text. I just want to read uh, some of those questions to you. 1 Peter is written to a people who are a minority, scattered in the world, which is an identity that characterizes the Christian life for the apostolic author and his readers. Does this identity characterize the Christian life and mission for us today? As a letter addressed to people who are powerless, suffering, and in situations where they have little choice, what does it mean to do right in those situations? What does it mean to imitate Christ when you are powerless and suffering and where you have little choice? The letter of 1 Peter calls its readers to sanctify Christ as Lord, not the government, the emperor, not the master, not the husband. These three are introduced as ruling powers embedded within the ancient world, but one Peter asks, what might it look like if Jesus is Lord and not the emperor, not the master, not the husband? Power imbalances are real in one Peter, and misuses of power are dangerous, especially when those in power are not always aware they're misusing it. This letter challenges the abuse of power, cutting across place and titles, and including abuses that are physical, sexual, economic, and authoritarian. Where have inequalities of power led to abuses in your past? Where do they continue to do so? And how might all who exercise leadership and welcome continuously reflect on the power that they hold? Knowing that fear can all too easily corrupt life together in Christ and imprison or further alienate individuals and peoples, what does it mean for a community of believers to live in hope and not in fear? That's a question we can certainly all relate to if we are uh, struggling to respond to the coronavirus. How can we be believers who live in hope and not in fear. So these are very good questions that are written in this introduction commentary, and we can tell as we lean into our reading of 1 Peter, we're going to be talking about power differential, we're going to be talking about abuses of power, and we're going to be talking about what a faithful Christian response might look like in the face of unfaithful and unjust realities in our world. The final question the commentary says 1 Peter is about goes like this. The letter ends with a call to leadership, with Peter including himself among those who are elders in the church, shepherding a given flock. Such images suggest that openness, fluidity, and creativity cannot be detached from the suffering of God's people and the glory that is to come. Where has our ministry lost creativity, openness, and connection to those most vulnerable? Where is our ministry most creative and open to exploring new fields and pastures? I tell you, those two questions apply directly to our church's response to the coronavirus in these ages. Um, where has our ministry lost its creativity and openness and connection to those most vulnerable? We've got to be sure that we don't, as a church, just batten down the hatches, close and cancel everything, and wait for this virus to pass. We are called as a church to care for those in need, and there are people who are vulnerable economically, 
and medically, and uh, because of social isolation is going to make people depressed. We've got to, as a church, not just turn inward, but to remember that we are called to focus on others and focus on our mission facing out. Now, we can do that without doing crazy, overly heroic things that put people at risk. I'm not saying uh, put people in danger. We don't need our church to become the typhoid Mary of this situation. But we also need to not lose our creativity and openness and connection to those who are vulnerable. Where is our ministry most creative and open to exploring new fields and pastures as we as a church try to be faithful while leading in the midst of this coronavirus? That's a good question and one that deserves some pondering. At the end of the introduction to the commentary, the global commentary to the first letter of Peter, these words appear. One of the greatest glories of the Anglican Communion, and indeed of the global church, is that we are sisters and brothers, I would add we are siblings, of different ages and different backgrounds. We are spread across so many cultures and contexts. This brings great strength, but it also means it is easy for us to misunderstand each other, often not because we are saying something different, but because we say it in a different way. So as we bring this episode of The Simply Christian Life to a close, I hope you've appreciated uh, reading some of the introduction of the first letter of Peter, a global commentary edited by Jennifer Strawbridge. And I hope that you will enjoy cracking open your Bible and working with me through the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, in our next episode. God bless you, and let's keep the faith together.